If you'd like to read with me today, we're going to be looking at the Psalm 103. If you don't um, have a hard copy Bible and you wish to have one, they're just at the back up there, or you can speak with Arby and he'll get one for you. Um, otherwise, you can follow along on the screen or with your own app. All right, so we're going to look at Psalm 103. It's of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in, within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And in its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. If you join with me in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words you provide for us in your, in your scripture. You speak to our hearts directly. And we thank you. May your preaching of your word today edify those that listen. And most of all, may it glorify you. Because you are worthy of much glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, we can have praise and excitement over many things. From the trivial, oh, I went to this cafe. They do the best coffee. You've got to go there. You know, we just can't help but have the good things that we experience be vocalized, praised. You know, that food, amazing. Or your footy team. You know, the Brisbane Lions win. You're like, yes, I can't believe they won. Um, or, or, you know, the joy of having a new baby. They're this little blob. They don't really do anything, but you're just like, I've just seen my baby. Look at them. They're the most beautiful creature ever. Or it could be the joy of a new job. Uh, you, you weren't expecting to get a job, but you thought, you know, I'm just going to put my name out there. I would love to have it be the best job for me. But really, I'm, I'm not as qualified as other people. And then you get the job, despite expectations. Or when you have miraculous healing, 
And the doctors say, the news is not good. But by God's grace, he heals you profoundly. Or he heals family. And you want to praise. You're just, this is amazing what God has done. And it's that sentiment, it's that drive to praise the goodness that we see in this psalm, Psalm 103. As we walk through this psalm, we're going to see three points that I want to highlight today. And we're going to see this in verses 1 through to 5, where we will see, let my soul bless the Lord. Let my soul bless the Lord. And then verses 6 to 8, we're going to see, let our souls bless the Lord. So we've gone from the individual, the singular, my, to our, corporate, together. Let our souls bless the Lord. And then we will conclude with verses 19 to 22. Let all creation praise the Lord. Let all creation praise the Lord. So as we dive into the psalm, hold that structure in your mind. Because Psalm 103 is a testimony and praise to the Lord's psalm. It's not a lament. It's not a sad, downcast psalm. This is a psalm of joy and testimony of the goodness of God in the psalmist's life and in ours. The psalmist invites us to join in honouring and glorifying the Lord with our praise. And we'll see progressively this psalm broadens our horizon with concentric circles. Verse 1 to 5 is of the individual, then joins to the people of God, and then it joins to all creation of God, blessing the Lord blessing the Lord, with each layer of the circle, exposing another facet of God's brilliance. Like a diamond's, actually. Like a diamond's brilliance sparkling under the light. Our hearts ought to be dazzled by the splendor of our God, bursting forth in exuberant praise. In exuberant praise. So let's have a look at verses 1 through to 5. 1 through to 5. Let my soul bless the Lord. That is the point for verses 1 through to 5. Let my soul bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here we read the repetition of my soul, bless the Lord. Here we see David urging his soul, spurring his soul on into wholehearted adoration, devotion, and affection to magnificent, magnifying glory of worshipping God. This is what he's doing. You know, with each bless in verses 1 to 2, it's as if when Murray was hitting the symbol, it's like a punctuated blessing of bless the Lord, my soul. Bless simply meaning glorify God. Hold him in great esteem and honour. In uh, verses 1, David presses against apathy, any apathy that might potentially be lurking in his soul for the service of blessing, the Lord's holy name. He rallies himself to the cause of vigorously praising God. See, he's not content to worship God in half measure. It must be all of him. David is commanding his soul to respond to God in worshipful praise. Now, we live in a society and culture which is very much feelings-oriented. If you feel something, that is truth. If you feel a certain way, if you feel, um, you know, if you feel as though you love this person, even though they're in a marriage and it means having an affair, 
I'm sorry, but your feelings tell you that it's true. You've got to go for it. Or if you feel a particular way about your, um, your identity, you need to do all things, radical things, to pursue that truth that your feelings tell you. And I think sometimes, as believers, we can be tempted to adopt this culture in our own hearts as well. It's, it's part of the human experience to sometimes believe what our emotions tell us, despite the reality of many truths that are separated from feelings. Because true worship is not dependent upon an emotional congruence, being the same together. It's not dependent upon that. Now, true worship will often lead to an emotional response that is in alignment, but it's not necessary in order for there to be cheerful, true, joyful worship. As was shared, uh, you can have a brokenness and still praise, bless the Lord. It's not a cheery, sentimental sort of thing to bless the Lord. It is about recognizing who God is and out of that space pressing into praise and blessing. We can be captivated by God and have a well that is dry. We can have water flowing out of us even though the well is dry because the water does not come from within us. It comes from the Spirit moving within us. We don't let the circumstances dictate our whole-bodied worship of God. It is not disingenuous to be on your knees, weeping in tears, and simultaneously praising God. It is not disingenuous. Look at this. We see, for example, Paul testifying to this reality. Um, and if, you, if you wish to look at this later, it's from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11. 24 to 27. And this is his experience of life. I want you to listen to his experience. And then we're going to read another passage and I want you to compare it and see that they can go hand in hand. This is what he says about his experience of being a Christian. Praise God, this is not the majority of our experience, but it may be one day. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. That is a terrible experience to be living. And then he writes... You might almost say contradictorily, but it's not. In Philippians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is from a man who is experiencing the suffering of being in prison at the very moment of writing this. He is not being disingenuous. And he goes on in verse 12 and 13. He says the key to this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you are on your knees and the tears are freely flowing, 
You can pray to God, blessing his name, knowing that the Spirit will pour the joy into your heart. And you can pray and bless the Lord, and he will hear you. You can rejoice despite your circumstances saying otherwise. You can do that. We're to preach to ourselves. We're to be like David. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless it. I command it. It will be. That is what we're to do. We're to preach to ourselves. Don't let your soul condition set the temperature for the reality of blessing God. He is the one that is worthy of being blessed. We bless because of him, not because of us and our circumstances. It can be hard, though. It can be hard. But God is sufficient. God is sufficient. We see David in verses 2 to 5 drawing upon springs of remembrance. And this is another way to bless the Lord despite your circumstances. Remembrance. Remembering his goodness to you in times past. You know, he says in verse 3, For being forgiven for past immoral grievances against God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. For being healed from physical affirmities. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Being rescued from death. Bless the Lord, O my soul. For generously bestowing good things upon him. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is how David is able to command his soul to bless the Lord. David propels his blessing towards the direction of God by drawing upon the remembrance of God in his past. I think this is why testimonies are so powerful and why, as a Christian, we love hearing them because they propel us back into our own story of God's goodness in our lives and they just produce a joy that wants to bless the Lord. This is the reality that God moves in us and he satisfies us with good things, mainly his love and mercy. In remembering God's goodness in our past, we're able to draw deeply upon the realization of his present presence in our situation. So when you're struggling to charge your soul to bless the Lord, don't look within and analyze and evaluate how you yourself can pick yourself up and bless The answer doesn't lie within. Don't believe the lie of Disney. Believe in yourself. It doesn't lie within. It does not lie within. That can actually be a form of sinful introspection. Simply look to the past of what God has done. Look to the future, to the promises he has proclaimed. They will come true. And look in the present and see the insurmountable goodness of God in the life that he has given you that you have been crowned with steadfast love and mercy and that he satisfies you with good. And the greatest source of joy that our soul can use to command, to spur us to blessing is contained in verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who forgives all your iniquity. And David so much wants to emphasize this point. In verses 10 to 12, he's, he writes it again. He says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is the glorious message of the cross. This is the glorious message of the cross. When we are plagued by our sins of the past, when we feel the circumstances of life are dragging us down, when we've heard news of family that is just soul-crushing, remembering the goodness of God to us in the full assurance that He has given us forgiveness, past, present, future. He has forgiven all of our iniquities. He has taken all of our sins and He has cast it away from Him as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens from the earth. This, this symbolic language, this simile, is showing us how immeasurable God's generosity is in his forgiveness. This is what Jesus achieved for you on that cross, for us on that cross. That is why we bless. There is no condemnation, no guilt. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. In Christ, it is to your benefit that the assurance of forgiveness has been forgiven and your iniquity has been cleansed and paid for in full. Not in part, in full. With that in our hearts, let us look at verses 6 to 18. Our next point, verses 6 to 18. And the point is, let our souls collectively bless the Lord. Let our souls bless the Lord. David writes in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let your heart pause for a moment and reflect upon those words. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our God shows concern for his creatures. He extends benevolence to even those who do not honor and glorify him. We read in Matthew, for example, he says, you know, God, the Father, sends the Son to rise on the evil and the good. Every day is a reminder of God's goodness and generosity to his creatures. As that sun comes up, as dawn arises, is another reminder of God's goodness, lavish goodness, that is to all, even those that are unjust. He sends the rain, and we've had so much rain. Every time that rain shower goes, maybe don't grumble, say, wow, this is a testimony that God's goodness sends the rain to those that don't deserve it. And he's slow to anger, slow to anger. Unlike us who are so quick to honk that horn when someone cuts us off, or so quick to... Have our tempers fled when our child, for whatever reason, gets out an extra fork from the drawer and they didn't need to do it. Now I have to wash that fork as well. It's ridiculous. Slow to anger. Or when your housemate, you've just cleaned the floor and they come in with their shoes and say, sorry, I've got to quickly get changed. I've got to go. Slow to anger. God is slow to anger. Despite our numerous shortcomings and our fallen nature, He bears with us patiently. And not only does he bear with us patiently, he does it in abounding steadfast love. Abounding steadfast love. 
And these virtues are not conditional upon us creatures. They're not conditional upon us. We don't have to be you know, a good boy or a good girl in order to have this lavish, abundant, steadfast love or the slow to anger God. These virtues, as we see, is a small little word there, and it's the word is. The verb is highlights that these attributes are qualities present in God's character. It's not God has or does, it's God is this. He is that by his very definition. He is one who possesses these qualities. And these words, when we do have those moments, when we are struggling, press into the goodness of God, knowing that he is abounding in steadfast love, merciful and gracious, and slow to anger. And we see a testimony of this as we think back, reflecting back on the past to draw us with strength in the present, with the history of God's covenantal people. If you, if you read Judges, for example, if you want to get a real snapshot of it, or if you want to read um, any of the books, say Isaiah or any of the major and minor prophets who talk about Israel's failure to love God and their rebellion against God. Um, as I have been doing, I've been reading the book of Isaiah in my personal quiet time. And it's God, despite his, his anger towards their rebellion against him, his righteous, just wrath against them. There's always, God's always like, you know, I will not forget you. I'll pull you back. I'll call you back from the east. You will praise me. I will make sure that if that tree's cut down, there's a stump remaining, you know, and it will reshoot. You know, he's always calling back. He's, he is being faithful despite his people's unfaithfulness. So when you're unfaithful and you stumble into sin and you think, how did I get here again? Remember that you have indwelling sin, but then don't focus on that. Focus on the goodness that God is abounding in steadfast love, mercy and forgiveness and graciousness, and that he is desirous of lavishing his love upon you if you are in Christ, for those that fear him. If you are in Christ, he's not angry with you, when you sin and stumble again. Because Jesus took that wrath on that cross. He bore that anger fully. He took the Father's heat, the searing love, and he allowed it to pour over him so that you could have the liberty to say, you are my abounding steadfast love. You are my God is slow to anger towards us. And this is secured. If you want security, this was secured before the foundation of the world. Your inheritance was secured before the foundation of the world. And we have some powerful, a powerful image in verse 13 where it says... As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There have been many adjectives, as we've seen in this passage so far, describing our benevolent God. No wonder the psalmist wants to bless the Lord. 
calls the people together to bless the Lord. And he uses here an image of a father, as a father shows compassion, mercy. Now, this can be a hard image for some of us who have not had good fathers. Fathers that have been absent, abusive. Fathers that have not stepped into the joy of being a father. But this here, this as, this simile, is about a father who is sympathetic to our sorrows and misfortunes. He's desiring to alleviate our suffering. And he is a good father. Good father. He sent his son so that you could call him Abba, father. The intimate term, Abba, daddy, father. So in your moments of despair and questioning around many troublesome areas in life, matters that have maybe come into your life this week that are just weighing you down and plaguing you, and they're relentless. The health crisis that seems to have no end despite numerous prayers. Or relationship complexity that is just toxic and just difficult to manage and navigate. We are to come to our Heavenly Father because He is our Father and He shows compassion. And our relationship with Him is deeper, richer, and more intimate because we are sons and daughters. We are told we've been adopted as God's father. David here, he writes as a father, comparison. But now, apart on this side of the cross, we actually say, no, not as a father. He is my father. Grab that for a second. He is your father. David only could look forward to this moment, but we can step into it and say, he is my father. And if he is my father, and he is a good God, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, I can have confidence that he hears me. Thank you, Jesus, for adoption. Thank you. And in contrast to this, as to kind of swell our gratitude, the psalmist in verses 14 to 18 writes that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He says, you know, as, the, as, as a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, but the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place is known no more. We are so insignificant. We are like dust. We are dust. We are like when you're doing weeding and you pull out that grass and you leave it on the side in a hot summer's day, it's, it's gone. It's dead in a matter of hours. Or if it's a really hot day, a matter of minutes. You can't transplant it and have it reshoot. That's how fragile we are. And yet sometimes we can be tempted to place our security in this fragile reality that we have. We could be hungrily seeking to desire to purchase a home at all costs in some sense. Sacrificing the liberty of giving generously and living generously just to have the security of a home. Or we could be tempted to work those extra hours at the sacrifice of going to church just to get ahead. But it's so fleeting. 
I was reading in this, uh, in, on BBC News this week um, in an article called uh, Russia's War Drains Ukraine's Rich List of Power. And in this article, it details five super-rich Ukrainians um, with a comparison of net worth from February 2020 to December 2022. So a space of less than a year, 10, oh, 11 months. And it shows dramatic losses of their fortunes. For example, the wealthiest of them, and I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Renat Akinhematov, it's kind of embarrassing given that my ethnicity is part Ukrainian, but um, I can't pronounce that. Anyway, um, he was one of the wealthiest. He went from having a net worth of $13.7 billion in February down to $4.3 billion. Now, you might be tempted to say, well, he's still a billionaire. Yes, but that's a lot of money to lose. And it's because of all of the bombings that have taken over in where he owned property his property's been destroyed or taken by the Russians. It's just been stripped away. And it doesn't take much. You could be diagnosed with cancer and have to have treatment for 13 months and not be able to work. And you just see those savings plummet down. Or your health can be taken in a moment. One of us could walk out here and be assaulted on the streets of Parramatta. You don't know. And then our health is gone. If we place security in the dust, then we're going to be sorely disappointed. That's why Ecclesiastes is a book that's so helpful. And I know the ladies are going through it at the moment in the book, book fight. Um, Ecclesiastes talks about, um, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Pride, self-confidence, independence. Let's not place our hope and security in dust. We come with nothing and we leave with nothing, and yet God knows we're dust. Despite being dust, he calls us his children. Despite being dust and flowers that fade, he has given us security and hope in him through Jesus Christ. This is your anchor for the soul. The steadfast love, and this is the comparison that we read in here as well. The steadfast love, see the repetition of steadfast love. It's steadfast, it is sure, it is secure. The steadfast love of the Lord is from when, he says, from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. If you are in Christ, his love is from everlasting to everlasting. Grapple with this truth. Wrestle with it. And I say wrestle because once you've wrestled, it will become your own and you will understand, we will understand as a community, a community that has been wrapped in the amazing glory of God is a powerful community because we cannot be shaken. We are no longer just dust anymore, guys. Why would we trust in dust when we have been now made children of the living God who cannot die from everlasting from everlasting? And we're reaching the crescendo 
of our passage today. And this is our final point for this morning, verses 19 to 22. Verses 19 to 22. And it's this. We've gone from the individual. We've gone to us collectively. Now let all creation praise the Lord. 19 to 22. Let all creation praise the Lord. And he begins this section, and in this section, with the phrase, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. It resounds four times. Have a look. Four times in this final section of the psalm. Blessing pours forth from all quarters of creation. It's reached its crescendo, Psalm 103. It says, the Lord is king. He rules over all. And the angels are commanded. David is commanding the angels to bless, glorify the Lord. All his works in all his places of dominion are to bless the Lord. God's dominion is over all things. And functioning in their proper way, proper duty, all creation is joyfully compelled to praise God just by being in the rhythm that God has established for them. Now, of course, David lacks the authority to tell creation to praise God. David's mere man. He's not God. He can't command with the breath of his mouth to make things appear in creation. He can't command praise. He can't command the angel, God's heavenly angels, to do his bidding. It would be blasphemy. That's not what he's, he's saying here. What David is doing is he is abounding in joy, exuberance joy. He's, when you're so excited, you just want everyone to get involved. You know, like a child, they get, your, your child gets so excited when they hear such and such is coming over. And they're kind of bouncing off the wall. You kind of wish you didn't tell them. Bouncing off the wall, they're running up, climbing over chairs and jumping here and there. And, or, or my little daughter, when um, Amalia, when my... My auntie came down to, to visit. It was bucketing down rain. I don't know what was got in her head other than joy. She just ran out into the rain and was dancing, singing, jumping around in this cold rain that Annie was here. It was very beautiful. Um, yeah, to, to think, you know, it's this compelled compulsion of joy. Or when some goodness has happened in your life and you just have to tell you have to almost command, listen to me. How good this is in my life. I got this job. I should not have gotten this job. I don't deserve this job. But I got it. Have I told you about this? This is what's going on here. David has this joy that just kind of is exploding out of him and doesn't know what to do with it. Just saying, you know, glory to God. And this is what we ought to be, compelled to praise like the psalmist when we grasp the, yeah, the steadfast love of God. That's where the joy comes from. That's where the praise comes from. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of, places of his dominion. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, I don't do that all of the time. But in perfect creation, we will. In the new creation, we will just be constantly praising and blessing God together. The problem is, is in our reality now, we're so spiritually blind. And it's actually only the light of God that can remove the cataracts of our soul. Our eyes are constantly having cataracts reform over our heart soul. And we need the Spirit to cut it away. And when He cuts it away, He stokes the fire of our soul to bless the Lord. If you're struggling to have that exuberance that David has now, if you're struggling to be inflamed with the glorious praise, 
come to God and pray a simple prayer. Spirit, open my eyes to the glory of who I am in you and the glory of who you are. Open my eyes. And the Spirit will do so. And the joy that we have is that our eyes of our hearts have been enlightened. We know what our hope is because we've been secured in the one who has called us. We share in the glorious inheritance of the saints. We're seeing and experiencing the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us according to the workings of his great might. Not ours, his, that he's worked in Christ. Why? When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And that is why together we sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul.